Welcome back, listeners. It's that time for another episode of Matt Goes to the Movies. And Rob and I are here to talk about the 2008 release of Max Payne starring Mark Wahlberg. And, you know, Rob, Mark Wahlberg is a guy, geez, with a film list a mile long. And for every movie, for me, like Ted, Shooter, Pain and Gain, Daddy's Home, Lone Survivor, The Departed, Two Guns. These are movies that I like. Four Brothers, The Other Guys, The Fighter. Uh, There's The Happening. There's Max Payne. Um, And maybe we'll... Maybe we'll disagree here because you and I have not talked. This is where we're bringing our thoughts to each other. Um, but man, for for a guy who I think is talented, there's some weird projects in his list. <laughs> he he definitely does. Um, Mark Wahlberg, legitimate movie star. Like you can open yeah. a movie just with him and not much else. Um, I think the list of people you can do that with anymore is dwindling. And I, and I don't know why that is, but the, the number of, of like legitimate movie stars that you can bank on their name and their name only, regardless of what the project is, where you'd be like, you know what, I'm going to see that no matter what. Like, obviously you've got guys like Tom Cruise. I think Will Smith is still in that category. At one time, he was the biggest bankable star in Hollywood. Mr. July uh, 4th, they called him. Exactly. And, and I feel like that list is kind of dwindling, you know, Affleck and Damon. Sure. Uh, they can open movies on their names alone, but it's we're not adding new ones. You know, it's it's kind of funny and weird how that is. Like maybe Jonah Hill, maybe. I, I don't yeah. know. It depends on if you like his style or not. But yeah, I, there's there's a lot going on in this and he does pick some weird projects. He seems to be a cop in a lot of his movies for whatever reason. It just seems to be kind of, it's him and Martin Lawrence. They're just always cops in every movie they're ever in. I I think the list of movies where Martin Lawrence is either a cop or pretends to be a cop is at least like 50% of his filmography, if not more. And yeah, this, so this movie, this is the second time I've seen it now. I had seen it once a long time ago. And and part of the reason we picked this was because we've been doing a lot of video game adaptions lately because apparently we hate ourselves. And <laughs> um, and we were like, you know what? It's been a while since I've seen that. I kind of want to revisit that. And I'll be curious to hear if your perceptions of it had changed at all or not. I, I feel like mine kind of stayed what it was in that. This is a movie that is not well remembered. It is not well regarded. There's definitely points of this that I'm going to rip to shreds. And yet somehow I enjoyed my time watching this. And it's not like a movie I'm going to watch regularly. I don't know the next time I will ever watch this again on purpose. But I sort of dug it for what it is. I think this is one of those, like there's varying degrees of bad movies, right? Like there's like, there's great movies. There's all time classics that you just beg your friends to see if they've never seen. And then there's, then there's like degrees of bad movies. They're the, it's so bad that it's good. I wouldn't put that in this range. I think there's kind of like comfort food kind of movies where it's like, I, I kind of like, it's just a me thing. I, I don't expect anyone else to like it. And then there's like unwatchable movies like Super Mario Brothers. There's there's like controversially bad movies or like the divisive movies like, you know, The Last Jedi, where it's, you either love it or hate it. And I, I think this is one of those ones for me that 
I enjoyed it, but I would never ask you to enjoy it. I would never ask you, the listener, to enjoy it. I would never try to convince somebody who was like, that movie sucked. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. But I kind of liked it. Yeah, I mean, you know, you you use the term like comfort food for bad movies. He's in one of those for me when you, myself, and Harrison from The Basement Binge talked about the Transformer series. Age of Extinction, that's a perfect way to put it. That's a That's a comfort food bad movie for me. Like... I talked very poorly about that movie while we recapped it. But at the end of it, I said, but for some reason, it just works for me. For some reason, that movie gets done. And I'm like, yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't know why, because I can, you know, fill a football stadium with the amount of problems with that movie. Yeah. But it's. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's comfort food. So I I like that phrase. That's uh, <laughs> that that perfectly describes it. And I'll tell you one thing about this. You know, th- this movie. Um, before we really talk about you know whether my perceptions changed of it, because just like you, I've only seen it the one time until now. Um, never watched it again. Didn't remember a ton about it other than I was like, yeah, what the hell was that when I first saw it? I forgot the cast in this movie. Yeah, because there's there's solid. there's recognizable people, um, you know, solid, regardless of whether or not you like some of them. But Mila Kunitz is in this like I completely forgot that she has an actual role in this movie. You have Chris O'Donnell in here. Um, you have Donald Luge, who I actually like him like anybody who watched Gotham. He played um, Bullock, Gordon's partner. Um there's actually some a, a, a lot of people in here that that you would recognize. Um, Bo Bridges, yeah, Bo Bridges. Like, I forgot Ludacris was in this. I completely yeah, forgot that. Yeah, Ludacris. Like, and he's good, by the way. Like, he's actually really good. Yeah, you know, which is surprising because um, this was very early for him. Um, you know, this is you know an early time for him. But you know, one of my main problems with this movie. Um, and, and there's a lot, but, you know, in this movie, Mark Wahlberg, you know, if you know anything about the video game, his wife and child murdered hell bent on revenge and they, they have that, you know, they don't just make something completely up that they, they, they base it off of, of that story. Um, but he's, he's supposed to be this guy and there's that opening line, which I'm like, God damn, you're opening this movie with really bad dialogue. Um, like you're not hiding it out of the gate whatsoever, but he's sitting in that office and he goes, you remember how you used to hold your breath when you walked by the cemetery? Yeah. Leave that guy alone. What the hell does that mean? Like I've never done that. Yeah. Have you done that before? No, never. Um, who's done that? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't like I was like, first of all, yeah, like who does that? Second of all, the hell does that mean? Um, right. Third of all, you really wrote that down and then said, check. Um, but he's not intimidating in this movie. Like he's more intimidating to me as the moron Cade Yeager, who's like, I'm an inventor. This could be a game changer <laughs> for me. Like he's he's more intimidating in the two Transformers movies as a dorky inventor than the supposed hard-ass cop who's out for revenge. Like, he's not intimidating in this at all. And it's it's not like Mark Wahlberg doesn't have a presence or a physique. Like, certainly he's been bigger in other roles than, like, muscle mass than he is in this one. But he just, 
he doesn't come across as a badass in this to me at all. And and that's one of the problems because, you know, th- there's this aura around him that to me is like, so it's just made up for the movie. You know, I think a lot of it is relying on your impression of Mark Wahlberg as a badass that you've seen him in other movies. You're just kind of like, you know, he's paying the bill of this movie on credit and that credit mm-hmm. was from those other movies. Like, it's not necessarily because this movie really sets him up that way. Um you know, there, you mentioned there's a lot of, of really, you kind of forget how many people are in here. It's amazing that this movie to me isn't better than it is because there are definitely all of the composite pieces to make a phenomenal adapted film. I think they made some questionable choices at times with how they adapted the source material. And I think there were some things that probably made sense to do. Certainly you have to tell a much tighter uh, version of that. And and the nice thing is they completely skipped the part of the game where you have to walk on that blood trail that you just fall off all the time. And it's a maze <laughs> and there's no easy, like there's no obvious way to get through it. And it just sucks. Like they skipped that. Thank God for that. That's like the, one of the worst parts of a great game ever. But like you think about like Mark Wahlberg as your title character, like, yeah, legitimate movie star, real action acting chops. You've got Mila Kunis, who if you had to just go to AI and type in, hey, give me the prototype for a femme fatale in a noir film like it just prints out. It's Mila Kunis. Like, here you go. Like, that's what it is. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of great. The production design of this movie is fantastic. If you think back to the games, and if it's been a minute since you've played that, you know, the game. Look, it came out in the Xbox and PlayStation Two era. Um, the everything is just filthy. Everything is just grimy and dirty and just awful and just mm-hmm. disgusting. And this film, just the production design of it, it's just covered in all that stuff. It really, really works. Um, the hallucinations of the tweakers and stuff like that. So many of those things like are really effective. And yet at the same time, and, and you know, it's a, it's a revenge story. It's a, it's a noir twist and turn kind of, you know, ultra bro- um, brutal and violent at times, which by the way, so I guess for point of reference for the listeners, uh, Matt and I watched the unrated version of this film Um it released as a PG 13 movie. Like how did they ever think that they were going to adapt this game into PG 13 and make it actually make sense and not be awful? Um, Like I, I really don't understand how that was ever a good idea. The biggest thing that holds this back though, is there's so much that just doesn't make sense. There's so many scenes that don't make sense. Like why is this here or why are they doing this? And it's hard to, it's hard to look past and and we'll definitely touch on them as, as we go. But I I feel like this is a movie that could have been so much more. It was, it was right there. It was just, I felt like it's a couple of red pen tweaks, uh, maybe some rewrites. This could have been better. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there is a lot of stuff here and, with all the stuff that's crazy about this movie and you're like, why is that there? That what, you know, it, it's not believable. And I'm sorry. I get it. He's supposed to be a guy who's still grieving. The biggest thing that is crazy about this movie. There's absolutely no way he's throwing Natasha out of his house. (laughs) Not happening. (laughs) There's no way I'm sorry. In what universe does that actually happen? Like I'm, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, maybe when she leaves, he's like, 
asshole. Like, <laughs> like he he trash talks her on the way out, but it, no, like absolute, like, and even when he says that, and he's like, "Get the f out," like, like even he's struggling to like. That's like Mark Wahlberg, the actor, was struggling to say that. He like, yeah, like it's. It- how many takes did it take for them to get that before he's like, are you sure I should be right. saying this? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, Mark, the line is get out. Oh, oh okay. I, I, I got it. I got it. Let, all right. Let's roll again. Like, <laughs> like, um, but even their, like even their opening meeting where he meets her, does she have that Michael Myers, Jason Voorhees vanishing power? Because when he meets her at that club, when he's asking his informant for, you know, more information, you better give me another name. He's standing in a direction where she's still right in his line of, of sight. She doesn't leave his line of sight. And then he's like, she's gone. Like, so even the editing and the filming, of, like the filming of this is now the set pieces are great. It really does like capture the grittiness of the game. I will give that credit. You know, I, I think that is a very good job, but some of the way that they film things and the way that scenes are set up, I'm like, how did you lose her? There, there's no way you lost her it, for her to go in the, the back and do, you know, jello shots. Like it, it just is not filmed well in, in, in certain areas. Yeah. There's things that feel like they're a little bit out of sequence or just the the way they chose how to present the footage that was shot is like, uh, hold on. How much time has passed here? Right. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that really bothers me in movies is you can never tell the timetable of where things are. And sometimes, you know, like, and, and Michael Bay is notorious for this where it's daytime. And then the very next scene it's night. And it's like, wait a minute. Like what, what happened here? Like, did that much time pass or did you forget that you filmed the beginning of the scene during the day? And for whatever reason you had to film the end of the scene at night, like there's no continuity. And and this movie has the other trope that I hate of, you know, person a saying, asking a question, person B saying, I'll tell you all about it. And then there's like a length of time where, so wait a minute, you didn't, talk in the car you waited until like you sat in silence in the car until you got to the bar and then max Payne and his old partner are going to talk about the alleyway like that happens that whole scene sucks i mean it's awful yeah that happens in this movie where it's like so what did you guys do in the car also too when you know another movie trope and again this this one has so many of them when his his partner and I'm forgetting his name for one second. Oh, Alex. Alex. Um, you know, one, he shows him the wallet that, oh, your wallet was found here on the scene. So does everybody know that his wallet was found on the scene? Because guess what would happen? As like, no offense, there wouldn't be a courtesy. You you wouldn't be going and letting Alex go get him. But that's not even the way it's implied. And may, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe I I saw something wrong or I, I wasn't paying attention. He's like, they're going to send cops who don't care about you and everything else. And it's like, so wait, did you find the wallet first? Did you like so nobody knows that you have it, but then it's presented like people do know. Um, 
what's going on? Like, did I miss something there? It's just, that's not how that would work. Like if your wallet's found there and that girl is chopped up, they're not giving you a casual joyride to let your old partner talk to you. At least I don't think I've never been in the police department. So maybe I'm wrong. You know, it, it, if you want it to make sense, you almost have to assume that this is not a reality based on, you know, the 616 continuity, let's say, right? <laughs> like this, this kind of almost has to be a, a completely different world altogether with a much more corrupt police force than what we believe actually is in charge. Like, could this happen? Maybe. Does it make sense? No, it, it really doesn't. And there's another scene later on that very much the, the rules of, of, uh, police etiquette in terms of procedures um, mm. is completely violated with with somebody who's a legitimate murder suspect, and he's right. he's now a murder suspect in multiple murders throughout this movie. Um, but yeah, the that it doesn't make any sense at all. Like you start, it, and that's really where this movie doesn't live up to its expectations is when you start asking these questions and you don't have good answers, and it's like, well, then why did you bother with this scene? Mm-hmm. Because for a, a movie that is adapted from a video game, that's pretty much just about going into bullet time, which is, you know, for people who've never played the game and are just listening to this, you know, it was really bullet time was kind of one of the first of that generation where you hit a button and everything goes into slow motion and you have a little more time to take out all the bad guys. Um, it's, a, it's all about shooting. It's pretty much just wave after wave at times of, of tweakers and, and stuff like that. There's not really a lot of gunplay in this movie. There's no. really not that much. They dive in really heavy on the neo-noir kind of detective story and revenge story. Very Sin uh, City. Yeah, but they don't really spend a lot of time actually doing the stuff that's in the game that it's adapted from. Which, by the way, like I don't necessarily need that. I, I think, I, can't, I mean, a detective story is fine. But if you're choosing to give me scenes that don't make any sense, and yeah, the, you mentioned the scene with his partner at the beginning where they're just like standing in the rain having a full-on argument mm-hmm. for no reason. Like the scene sucks. It's slow. It doesn't make a ton of sense. But more than anything, its biggest problem is it doesn't tell us, the audience, anything. You can remove that scene completely from the movie and lose nothing by it. And so like, if you're telling me, do I want that or do I want an action scene? Give me an action scene. Right. And uh, again, you know, maybe I I missed something, but he has that. He has that talk with Alex. And and I have one other thing, you know, one other movie trope that this does. I'll talk about that after he has that conversation with Alex. Um, You know, he gets that, you know, that line of and maybe that's why they're not partners, but it's never explicitly said. Again, it feels like things are shot like out of order or you know whatever but oh is that what you think you think i like i tried everything i could and i worked that case and you know max is like he's still out there but then when he goes to pay like again he goes like he just i I love to in movies you're allowed to just check yourself out of the hospital you're just allowed to rip out all your ivs (laughs) you know and you just get up and walk away no problem you're fine um, but then when he goes there and he goes to pay his respects to, to Alex's wife and she gives him what is one of the weirdest movie slaps I've ever seen. Cause it doesn't even feel like it's just so weird how it cut 
to her slapping him. Like the sound effect is really weird. It doesn't sound like a full fledged smack. Um, it's like one of the weakest movie slaps I've ever seen in my life. Um, and she's like, all it would have taken was a, a, a word from you. He, he felt that, you know, you made him feel like you never did enough. And it was like, did you guys really talk about that? Or are we just suppo- like, are you just laying it on for the audience to feel like, who is that for? Cause like, are we supposed to feel bad for this character who really has, I'm sorry, not a goddamn meaning in the movie other than, Oh, it's his wife. Like who was that, that whole scene who, sucks. Yeah. Who was that scene for another one that you just cut it right out, you know? And, and, and by the way, I don't know if you recognized, uh, did you, did you see who uh, plays uh, the wife of Alex Balder? I, that is Nelly Furtado. Oh yes. That is Nelly Furtado. Okay. I yes. did not recognize her initially. Wow. So uh, yeah, that was kind of like, Oh wow. I didn't know that she was in movies too. Stick, and to, I didn't, stick I, to singing. But. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because that scene is terrible. It doesn't really advance the story in any way. It's it's very slow and it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, she's she's mad at him because he like didn't forgive his partner for not working the case hard. enough. He's a cop, too. Right. Like, so you didn't find the killer either. Yeah. So how? why are you madder at your partner than you are at yourself? And, right. And, and of course, this brings in all kinds of conflict of interest kind of stuff anyways. Like, there's no way the NYPD allows you to work the case of your own family's murder. Like, that's right. handled by somebody else. Because Nor by the, would it by the allow way, you, you f- to let his own partner. No, conflict would, of interest. Yeah. Because any evidence that you find on anybody you try to book for that is immediately going to be thrown out by the pro- by the defense. Because like, yeah, conflict of interest. There's no way this person is mm-hmm. subjective. Like, this is all getting tossed out. Like, you're never getting a conviction. And like, I I'm an idiot, and I can figure that out. Like, why? So the that and that's why I think. And look, it's actually worse in the game because he's undercover for a lot of the game. He's like in the underworld throughout much of the game um, as kind of a scumbag, um, which is why he kind of gets away with some of the stuff that he does. And it tells a little more of an interesting story that way. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you wouldn't be allowed to work that case. You know, like that that wouldn't really happen that way. But yeah, that um, that whole scene with his widow, again, it's another one of those scenes that we talked about. Like, why is this here? Who is this for? What is the point of this? If you remove this, does that make the movie make more sense, less sense, or the same amount of sense? And if you remove it and it makes just as much sense, then why is it here? Um, I want to skip back just one scene further. You mentioned briefly that Max was uh, in the hospital for something. I kind of want to talk about the scene where he is attacked in his home a little bit, because one of the one of the hallmarks of the uh, Max Payne game, obviously the ultra violence and the noir sort of themes and things like that is, is how you remember it. But a lot of people forget that the, the, the story beats were all done in this graphic novel style, because mm. if you think back to the technology that was available in the original Xbox and the PlayStation two era, full video cutscenes weren't really super easy to do. And there's so much story that's told in that. And one of their workarounds for presenting some of this, um, you know, some of the, the, these story beats was to present it in the form of like a graphic novel that was narrated over top of. And it was really a cool, a cool bit of that game. And one of the things that I sort of liked, and I don't know if it was intentional or not, but a lot of when Max is getting his butt kicked, 
uh, really felt like the graphic novel style presentation. If you look at like the hits and things like that, it felt like a comic book frame at different points. And I, I kind of thought that was a cool detail. And I don't know if it was intentional, but headcanon to me is that it was intentional and I liked it. Yeah, no, I, I do think there's some well shot pieces in, in this movie for sure. Um, And, you know, as far as the source material goes, hell, I take a Max Payne remaster. I would buy that like for a video game, I would, I would buy a Max Payne remaster for sure. Um, but I, I want to jump back to, um, cause this is another thing I didn't mention, but it just drives me crazy about movies. Um, why do we have to start, you know, one week ahead? Like why do movies feel the need to start with something that happens later in the movie only to give us, the title of one week earlier or, you know, in this movie, it was one week earlier. Like what is the fascination or the obsession with doing that? Is it like, does that hook us? Like I don't sit there and go, Ooh, I wonder how we got in that water. Like by the time you get to the scene where it, where the movie actually starts, you forgot that the movie started that way. Yeah. By the time you get to that one week later, you completely have forgotten everything up to that point that it was like that because you're so you're into it at that point. I, I honestly I kind of blame Quentin Tarantino a little bit because, you know, he plays with time. Everything is back and forth and, and you know, presented out of sequence and things like that. You think about like Pulp Fiction and things like that, just mm. how, you know, you see a character's death and then like two scenes later, they're back. <laughs> you right. Know? Um, you know, that. Uh, I kind of blame him and and because people really enjoy his work so much, myself included, um, you know, Hollywood's copycat. So somehow, I don't know. I, I think that's probably his fault somehow. Yeah. And, you know, I know one of the other things that because I mean, this movie was pretty well, you know, criticized. Uh, I believe it currently still sits at only a 15 percent on Rotten Tomatoes if I if I remember that correctly. So it, you know, yeah, 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, you know, budget was only 35 million. It made 85.8. So it probably made a little bit of profit after the marketing and stuff like that, but you know, never successful to get, you know, any kind of a sequel or anything like that. But I do know, you know, one of the complaints was some of that, you know, going with the supernatural stuff and actually having those, you know, those flying creatures, which, you know, going back again, you, you know, you asked, like, I don't know if your thoughts change on this movie. And I don't know if they changed or if it just became clear that I was like, OK, yeah, I didn't remember. How bad this movie was, but again, it's it's not bad enough where, you know, I go, look, I don't know what else to say about this because, like, there's no talking points for this movie. Like, it's not that bad to me, um, which we've had a couple of movies like that where we both said, look, what else is there to say? It, yeah, it's, like it's, this movie just is a failure on all yeah. fronts. And there's that's pretty much where yeah. you go. And it, it brings me no joy to tear. Like, I, no. I think, again, like Super Mario Brothers, like there's there's nothing even great to say about how bad that movie is. Now, Daredevil, that's one that's a lot of fun to rip apart. Like Batman and Robin is a bad movie that's kind of fun. Like that's mm-hmm. a fun one to rip apart a little bit. Uh, this is just this to me represents more of a what could have been. Mm-hmm. So 
it, you're right. The the hallucinations being represented on screen was kind of a, a controversial sort of point. I think I, I think it fell flat for a lot of people. Yeah. There is one shot, though, that I sort of dig. Um, it's a little bit later on from where we're kind of talking about right now. But there's this character, Owen Green, that they're trying to track down. And when he's falling out of the window, it, there's this really cool moment, to me at least. And if you hate it, then I get it. But it shows kind of uh, Max and Mona's perspective. And then as the camera pans left to right and and Owen is falling out of the window, it kind of changes from their perspective to his. Mm. Where he's got those representations of, you know, the Valkyries, which has never been represented that way in, in Norse mythology. But, you know, OK, I guess shadow demons work, you know, para, they almost look like the parademons a bit from from D.C. I guess when you're tripping, that's how you see them. Apparently, but and everybody sees the same ones, although there is kind of a little bit of a basis for that, because if you ever listen to people who drink ayahuasca and like trip out of their mind in the Amazon jungle, they all talk about seeing like pumas and jaguars and stuff like that. So I guess there's some, <laughs> I guess there's some basis for that, I, I suppose. Um, they all see more or less some of the same stuff. Um, but I did kind of dig that. And and I think there's different points where that when they're, you know, when they show some of the shadows of the characters that are being hallucinated i thought some of that was kind of effective and i almost wonder if they needed to do more of it or less of it it feels like the amount they did was the wrong choice and i don't know if it should have been more or less i guess is how i would describe it uh, unless you kind of feel differently no see that's the thing is i i do the shot that you're talking about i like i like the tracking shots too again some of this i actually think is filmed very well um, there are things that I will give this movie credit for. And I like the tracking shots and how they film, you know, the people seeing the hallucinations. But again, it's that could have been something, you know, very cool in like a mass hysteria horror movie or something like that. Like some of these shots, I sit there and go, man, this could work really good in a horror movie. But like in this Max Payne movie, I'm like, well, I don't really need it. So it doesn't feel like, yeah. it, you know, it doesn't feel like it fits, but the way that they're filmed, I think is really good. And I think, you know, those kind of shots would work in a different movie. So I, mm. I respect the, the camera work and stuff that they did, because, again, I, you know, this isn't, again, something where I say it's just bad. I can't give this movie any credit. There's things in here that I'm like, man, if if you could ever just, you know, take some ideas from certain movies and put them in a randomizer and say, okay, the best parts of this can create this. There's some of that in this movie. There, there is yeah. stuff to give credit to. And I, I do think those tracking shots of the hallucinations are very well done. I, I, I really do respect those. So you mentioned there's some good things. This is one, that is definitely one of them. Uh, there's two that happen right before this scene though, that are bad. <laughs> and I mentioned earlier that there's definitely some violations of just common sense police procedures. So he's already a murder suspect for Natasha. He's now also a suspect for his former partner, Alex. That's two and listeners. He, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's allowed in the precinct to just kind of walk around and he goes in and he's allowed to just kind of go into his former partner's office. Mm -hmm. Like, how is that? How is that even a thing? Because even if he's not actually guilty 
of anything, anything he touches, now everything in that room is is no longer viable as evidence. Like it it just it's so obvious that this wouldn't happen and it's just a terrible terrible decision and it doesn't help the movie. There's so many other like have him break in. Have mm-hmm. him do like have him climb through the ductwork, Mission Impossible style. Like that would have made so much more sense than than what we ended up getting. Right after that, as he finds something that he considers to be evidence, he has this meeting with Bo Bridges' character, B.B. Hensley, who is a you know former cop, former you know partner uh, of Max's father. Um, he looks at him kind of as a father figure and, and is trying to help him. And then he initiates this conversation with him outside the bar. His and, and Hensley asks him for more information. And then he just kind of like as, starts to ask him questions. And then he just tells him to forget about it. Like, no, dude, you asked him to come here. And he's yeah. participating in the conversation. And you're like, no, just forget it. Like, what is what the hell is even that? Yeah. Um, you know, and the thing, too, you know, talking about the scene where he's allowed to go into Alex's office and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a couple people, but, you know, this movie also presents it. It's not like a ton of people have Max's back. So there nobody be, does. And and they look at him, you know, when he goes into the funeral, everybody's staring at him like there would be that one asshole that steps in front of him in the precinct and is like, where do you think you're going, murderer? Or, like you'd have that one cop, but yet. So as, as as much as it's unbelievable that he would be able to do any of that, and again, any any person with a sliver of brain cells would be like, well, you just screwed everything up because now none of that can be used. I don't care if it's I don't care if it's the murder weapon with the guy's fingerprints on it. They can say he found a way to force him to touch it. Like yeah, contaminated, it's contaminated. There's no way it would be able to hold up. It's there's just none. Um, so as far fetched as that is, it, the way that Max is presented in this movie for not one person to say something to him and to, you know, I would have believed it if somebody would have gotten in his face and he would have punched him out. And then, you know, everybody else on the force is, you know, ooh. Like, you know, they back off of Max because he just knocked out one guy that tried to stand up to him. But no, like everybody's just like, oh, um, well, we don't like it, but. I I guess be well, on your way. <laughs> yeah. Well, OK, well, hang on. Brad's not going to say anything. Nate, you want to say something? All right. Well, Nate's not going to do it. George, uh, George is eaten. Uh, Tim. He's, his jaw's broken. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, um, ah, shit. Larry's off on Thursdays, so can't ask him. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just, it's unbelievable that nobody actually realistically confronts him. Like, even at the funeral, for them to just let him walk up on the steps. Again, one of those guys would have been like, you don't. Not like, a good, not a good place to be. Yeah, not a good place to be. Or like, hey man, I wouldn't go in. You know, like having his back. Like I wouldn't go in there. Or you don't belong here. Like you don't, you don't get to pay your respects. You know, like as you know, don't. You're not allowed in here. You're not one of us. This is because of you. It's just, it's so unbelievable that he would have even walked into that house to pay his respects without 
a confrontation outside because in, in the middle of an active investigation. Right. And again, somebody could say, oh, you know, they don't want to. Co- no, there's one guy there that wants to cause a scene. He thinks he's doing the right thing by telling him, don't go inside. There's that one guy. It's a lot of it just doesn't make sense. So you get the shortly after that, one of the next scenes is Lupino just filling this junkie full of Valkyr and then killing him. Yeah. The super soldier serum. Yeah. He's just like, here, have some of this. Now I'm going to kill you. Like, dude, you're trying to sell that as a drug. Like, why are you wasting it? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's so like, why did that just happen? I, and I suppose like, if you're just trying to tell us that Lupino's like this drug fueled, like you remember when bath salts in Florida was turning everybody into zombies and they were like, yes. faces and stuff like that. Like, I just kept getting that like bath salts vibe from Valkyr as far as like what it actually does. Um, but it's like, I guess if you want me to just assume that he's just this drug fueled nut job, like sociopath at this point, like, okay, but that scene kind of sucks. And I don't really think it does anything. I think there's so many other ways you could have told that piece of the story. The scene makes no sense. Yeah. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. That That's the problem is so many things do not makes sense at all and again just the the typical movie tropes of course of you know well it's not the movie trope but again just being on film you know of of course it's the guy who he looks to as a father figure of of yeah. of, of course on all the nights of all the times obviously of all the coincidence in the world that could have happened, you you know, you flipped a coin and it landed on heads 375 times in a row. Of course, his wife is the one who catches. And, you know, of course they were able to make it cover, you know, to be a cover up. And, and the whole way he puts the thing together, because the, so this is where he makes the connection. So he's looking through the files, right? And he makes the connection between Valkyr and her company because the junkies have the the wing tattoo, mm-hmm. right? And and the company she worked for, Esther or whatever it is, right? They yeah. have a wing in their logo. <gasps> mm-hmm. It's all connected. Like that's how he makes the connection. That's the big light bulb moment where he's like, "Oh my god, I didn't see this before." And Which, then all of a sudden, like just because right. the the junkie had the tattoo and the and the crime scene yeah. photo from when his wife was killed, like, what are you kidding me with this nonsense? Right. But which, again, by the way, um, it's it's been how long in movie world that his wife has been killed? I think two years. Yeah. Um. Hey, guess what? That company had that goddamn logo two years ago. So yeah. great detective work back then. Yeah, geez. I mean, it's a good thing that like no companies in the '90s had like tramp stamps as part of their uh, right. logo, because then every everybody that got killed or was convicted of anything would have been somehow connected to it. Because that's all it takes is one tattoo that matches one logo. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And then you know the the other thing too is plenty of opportunities. It, realistically, the movie presents it. It would be such an easy way. Um, if they were able to cover everything else up, how would Max ever even honestly get close enough to find the real truth? Because guess what? You could just kill him. But but there's always that, you know, 
you can have the hero dead to rights, but for for whatever reason, they'd rather exposition you with the plan or leave it up to chance or whatever the case may be. But in reality, okay, there there's actually he's looking into this. There might be a connection here. There's a very good chance that there could be a he's dead. That he's yeah. dead. He he's not making it far enough to get there. And again, like in video games, in video games, some of those things don't matter because you're playing through. And again, listeners, in terms of the medium of content is what I'm talking about here. Not condoning it, but you're just having fun shooting things in bullet time and exploding things like that's why it can work in video game, you know, in format because you're being part of the experience and you're focusing on dodging and shooting. And, you know, some of those things just kind of fall through the wayside. You don't stop and really think about it. You're just having fun. But when you, when you're forced to just watch it and it's not interactive, that's when you do have time to break everything down and go, well, wait, well, I'm just sitting here on my couch doing nothing. How does this happen? Yeah, so for the benefit of listeners who have never actually played the game, the health system in Max Payne is, is you know, you kind of got a little bit of a health bar. And the way you refill it is by taking painkillers instead of mm-hmm. using like med kits or eating random turkeys that you find in garbage cans like in Final <laughs> right. Fight. You know, like whoever thought that it's like, hey, let's just pick this piece of turkey up off the ground that was in a garbage can and that'll restore oh, my health. Now, I'm, the, I'm the pretty sure that'll give you dysentery. Yeah, Yeah. I'm pretty Uh, sure that'll give you dysentery and you'll shoot yourself (laughs) to death. But um, I digress. By the time you get to the end of this game with all of the bad guys and all the shootouts you're in, you as the player have consumed enough painkillers to kill every elephant in every herd of elephants that's ever existed on planet Earth, every mastodon, every megafauna that's ever existed. You'd wipe out the dinosaurs four times over with the number of painkillers you have to take just to get through to the end of this game. So, yeah, we kind of get that it's not based on reality. Yeah, it's, you know... um, it's it's just again it's the the shame here again for me with this movie is the fact that there's there's things to be had and sometimes i always wonder you know is that worse is it worse to be a movie mm. like this where there's the potential and you can see things or is it worse to you know or is it worse to be okay that just sucks because you, you sit there and go, okay, how do you do, and again, full credit to, you know, it's not like people don't work hard on these things. I'm sure everybody involved worked extremely hard. You know, the script writers, the super, everybody. I don't think anybody sets out to make a bad movie unintentionally. Yes, there's movies where I think people, you know, that's part of it. That's the the appeal is, you know, once some of these movies started becoming popular, then you make a movie to be so bad that it's good and that it's something for fans to attach to. Um, certainly not the case with this. But, yeah, I just I, I often wonder which is which is the worst of, uh, you know, which is the worst thing to be. Yeah, that potential that could have been. It's um, 
you kind of went, you kind of wonder like, Oh geez, what, what would that have been? And, and the guy's name's escaping me, but there was the guy that was uh, drafted ahead of Michael Jordan that died of a drug overdose. That was like, it's, that's kind of one of the big what ifs in sports. Uh, His name's escaping me. Uh, Maybe one of the listeners will email it to us when we're done. But um, you know, that's always one of the big, like what ifs like, man, what would happen if that guy didn't OD, you know, Mm -hmm. like what could, what could that guy have turned into? Um, And you're right. There's so much here, but there's so many scenes that like, why is this scene exist? So shortly after the scene we were just talking about, you get this moment at night because everybody's in their offices at night. Uh, Hensley brings in uh, Ludacris's character, Jim Bravura, to tell him like, okay, I got to let you know all this stuff about pain. And he's like, yeah, this is all in his file. No, none of this, none of this information was in his file. And then he proceeds to tell him stuff that clearly would have just been in the file. Mm -hmm. Why is this scene here? Yeah, that's well. And the funny thing is, is even with all of those questions of why is this scene here? The, the simple answer is so we can have a goddamn movie. Cause this is still short. Yeah. Like you, you take out some of the stuff we're talking about. This movie's an hour long. <laughs> like, Maybe. You yeah. Know, you know, um, it, it, it's very like, if we just want to be as simplistic as possible about it, it's here so that they have a full length feature film. Cause if, if you cut out all the unnecessary filler, this isn't even a movie. This is a short story. It's a long episode of television. Yeah. It, it's not like where we've talked about, you know, Michael Bay's Transformer. Where you're like, okay, you could cut 35 minutes out of this and the movie's still two hours long and then maybe it's good. Like, you cut unnecessary scenes in this movie and yeah, this is, you know, this is the season finale of The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus. This is 45 minutes long or something <laughs> like that. So, like, that's why they film this stuff. Um yeah, I know. Oh, none of this is in this file. Height, six foot two. Weight, <laughs> like, like, wait, are you sure that's not in the file? Like, here's his driver's license number two, right? Well, no, if it was in the file, you'd have to read it. I'm saying it to you. Like, that. that's that's the difference. Um, and I do love to, you know, I, I don't think she's bad in this movie. Um, I, I love how she's presented as, again, just like Mark Wahlberg. Mila Kunitz's character, she's not intimidating at all, but she's supposed to be this leader uh, of this, what, crime syndicate, whatever you want to call them. Um, but, you know, has the the change of heart um, with that, you know, that end credit scene. Um, and that's exactly how it's described if you've ever looked up, like, the information for this movie with, like, they literally describe it as, you know... Um, they meet in a bar and after seeing a picture in the newspaper have a renewed sense of life. And it's like, give me a freaking break. Like, yeah. So yeah, there, there's this post credit scene and it doesn't, again, the post credit scene doesn't tell us anything new. No, like <laughs> no, there's nothing doesn't. new. It just shows uh, Nicole Horn, the CEO of Acer corporation. It just kind of shows her on there and it's like, okay, yeah, we want to get her next. Like it, it doesn't really add anything um you know kind of on uh on mila's character mona for a second we have a scene oh before we get to that though i do love there's the one action scene of max you know starting to escape and we're expected to believe that one nypd cop who's probably only got his service pistol possibly an extra magazine 
And he's going to get out against a specialized SWAT style response unit with MP5s and Benelli's. And, and he's just going to get out. Like, I really, I do like the special effects. There's so many squibs going off in that scene. It's glorious. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's just absolutely amazing. There's the exploding paperwork. And his dive through the door at the end is very bullet time right out of the game. And I I do love that bit I of band that. service. I I love it. As implausible as it is, like, okay, like that is kind of out of the game. Because you, you're constantly surrounded by impossible odds. And you're one man taking down, like, 75 junkies at a time. Like, there's... There's just no way, but it's, I, I do love that scene. So that leads into the next one I wanted to talk about where, where Mona's, you know, he, Max is, he, he's just at her place and like, she immediately doesn't just like shoot him in the head. Um, cause she assumes it's him. Um, and he's, you know, like loading up, he's like putting the, the shotgun shells into the <laughs> shotgun and he's doing like that, that great, like gear up moment before a big final showdown that we get in these kind of movies. And she's kind of giving him grief about wanting to go down in a hail of bullets. But honestly, like, why does she care? Yeah. Why does she care? Like, they've known each other for maybe two days. And they've had possibly two conversations across those two days. What difference does it make to her if he decides to just take down a bunch of crackheads and go with them? Like, she's probably... That like they, he means nothing to her at this point of the movie, or really at any point of the movie. It's not like he's doing it for her sister. No, yeah, you know, it, 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 it's he's not take out the people who killed her. She's probably fine with that. Like, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's not like that. It's you know not like because again, it's not. Oh, I'm you know they you know these people took something away from you too. It's not really like that either. It's again, it's not like he found comfort in her sister. So to not, you know, being perverted, but like, it's not like that. So yeah. Like, why do you care? Like, why, like why all of a sudden you have this attachment that you care if this guy lives, you shouldn't, I mean, besides being a human being, but the way you're presented and the company you keep doesn't seem like you'd care because he's, he's not part of your crime family. So yeah. Why do you care? Oh, it's it's for the it's for the audience. And and those are the things that I hate the most when it's like the character motivation is just for the audience. It doesn't make sense for the character in the movie. That's when the audience cares. Is when it makes sense for the person that we're watching to do what they do. Brilliantly stated. So, um yeah, I I again though, I will say um that that bullet time scene um, like jumping, I, again, that's, it's part of the problem is there's things where I go, oh man, you, you guys could have something here. Um, you know, and whether it's it, these guys, the, the screenwriters and the director, cause the director did write some of the screenplay, not a ton of experience. Like this guy did, um, I, a, a good day to die hard, which I believe is, is that the last movie? Is that the last Die Hard movie? Or I think Live Free so. or Die Hard? Or, um, you know, he did that one, and I don't think that one's all that great. Um, and he also wrote some of the screenplay. So, you know, it, these guys were young, and, you know, at the time this came out, these guys were young in this process, so to speak. Um, so, you know, jitters there. Um, the other guy who wrote it, I, I looked him up, and I can't remember his name, but this is like the only movie that he I can find him receiving credit for for screenplay. Is mm. is this? Um, 
which I found was kind of interesting. But I also do grab because you mentioned it, though. I, I love when movies just like have clip capacity and just say, screw it. Like, <laughs> like, hang on. That's what? 12? You should have 12 rounds in there. Um, you've shot 22 times and I've never seen you change a clip. What's yeah. like, what's happening? Like, yeah. So after he, he has this gearing up scene, you know, he goes into, you know, he, we actually do get some cool bullet time moments when he's in that lab area. And that part is actually kind of cool. But by the time he gets to the top of this tower, it is staggering. The number of people he faces who have guns, who also conceivably have training with said firearms and have the worst stormtrooper aim you could mm-hmm. possibly imagine. Like there's no reason for this many like hired guns to shoot that poorly at all. Like no. it's, it's, it's so bad. Like you, yes. Having one man take down just wave after wave after enemy, it's already implausible, but there's things you can do. By the way, have you seen any of the John Wick movies? Because right. they make it they make it totally conceivable. Like it yeah. makes sense. Like you believe that one man could take down that many other, you know, gunfighters all at the same time. Like you know, like Desperado. Like that even works a lot mm-hmm. compared to what we're presented with here. And unfortunately, that's the ending of your movie. And you've already kind of had scene after scene that doesn't really make sense. Doesn't really need to be there. Doesn't advance the plot. It really seems to be more for the benefit of the audience, as opposed to making sense for the two characters or more that are involved Mm -hmm. in the scene. And you have some cool action moments, but they're, they just don't make sense. And it breaks the believability that, that willing suspension of disbelief just gets snapped like a twig. And that's how you end the movie. And you walk out of the theater. If you had seen this in theaters or you pull the DVD out, um, uh, you know, cause I don't think this is, well, the unrated version that we watched is not streaming anywhere right now. Um, you know, you turn off your TV or whatever and you go, huh? And that's huh. just kind of your reaction. It's just kind of, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, not saying that this is the, exactly how it happened, but you know, the concept of we have waves of enemies on 56 floors. Okay. The the bad guy, you know, in, in these kinds of movies. All right. At some point, you would think one of the henchmen would go, so we think he's going to make it all the way up to the 56th floor? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, hang on a second. Why don't we just take those, like, why don't we just all meet them in the lobby and bum rush them? Like, like, yeah, yeah we sure. All shoot at the same time. Yeah. Maybe the first two, maybe he could get rid of a couple of the, like a couple people in the front row. But if, if you take the 75 henchmen that you scattered across all those floors and just said, we're all right here, he's dead. Like, like, or if even before that, when they were trying to make it look like he had killed himself by dumping him in the ocean or dumping him in the water, like, why don't you just shoot him in the head and dump him in the water? Because no one was going to find him. Right. Not not there. You were never going to find him. Yeah. Again, it's the you know, it's the Dr. Evil Austin Powers thing where, he you know, like, (laughs) oh, this this will work. It is absolutely that, you know, like, yeah, that it's, you know, oh. And they always usually too. also, again, this is just it's not but they have the gun on him and it's like, we'll let fate decide. 
And <laughs> like, you know, they kick him in the water. So it's just like, yeah, why didn't you just shoot him? Like, you, you know, 18 scenes ago, you were trying to shoot him and kill him. It's like the stormtroopers in Star Wars. They shoot, 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 shoot to kill them. And then as soon as they're in front of them, stay right there. Uh, oh, cool. Like, like, oh, so you're, you're done shooting at me now? Right. Sweet. Like, <laughs> you were just shooting to kill me. Um, why aren't you doing that? I'm, I'm right in front of you right now. Why are you not shooting me? And yeah, that's that's what happens. So that's um, anything else that you have about this movie? Anything else that we haven't brushed up on? Uh, no, let's uh, let's grab some popcorn. Right. So, yeah, we're going to we'll go to popcorn time here. And for me, I'll go first um, again. It, this movie, it just it, it rebrought my feelings to the surface because again, all I really had to go off of was, well, yeah, I just remember not liking it. Um, so really we watching this, you know, I was, I was hoping this was going to be a matrix reloaded or a watchman, something where I went, boy, I just, you know, maybe I was, a, I, I was a different person back then. I had different tastes, you know, and certainly that happens or I just wasn't in the right mood that day. I don't know what was going on. Like, I was tired. I was cranky. I, I shouldn't have watched it then, or I should have rewatched it sooner. Um, unfortunately, this isn't one of those movies. Um, you know, it just really kind of solidified. Um, all right, this this isn't a good movie. It is not for me as bad as I thought. I remember, like, as I thought, as I started watching it going, oh, yeah, now I remember this is a real piece of garbage. It is not that bad. Um, it never got to that level. And again, I think sometimes it's more disappointing when you sit there and go, well, damn, there's potential there. Um, but for me, honestly, this is pretty low. Um, I almost was going to go with a two. But for me, this is a one and a half bucket. Uh, I, I don't really see why I would watch this movie again. I, I would never certainly, if somebody was watching this, I wouldn't shy away from it. I would sit down and watch it. I would be like, oh, if this is what's on, fine, I'll watch it. I, I wouldn't say, well, let me know when the movie's done and I'll come back. It, it, it is not that <laughs> level. Um, it's not that level of bad, but it, it, you know, it's just also something that I wouldn't actively turn on again. Um, unless for some reason we were grouping it in a future review where we were maybe talking about multiple things um, at a time. And I just wanted a refresher. Like if we were like, we're going to talk about these five Mark Wahlberg movies. And one of them was Max Payne. Then I'd probably watch it again. Just to be like, okay, let me just get a couple more refreshers. But for me, it's one and a half buckets. Not the worst thing I've ever seen by far. Yeah, I I kind of struggled with where I wanted to place this because if you look at Matt, you mentioned I think where does it sit on Rotten Tomatoes? Like 15, 18 percent, yeah, something 15%. like that. Fifteen percent. It's not that bad. Like if you think about the kind of movies that typically get a fifteen percent Rotten Tomatoes rating, I would say this is better than probably all of them that are that are right. kind of in that range. It's not as bad as the critical response would have you believe. It's not good. So I really kind of struggled with where, because I, I mentioned before, I'm going to rip this movie apart. And, and I did, 
Um, but I still had points that I just kind of enjoyed. I, I think the parts that did work worked really, really well for me. So I'm going to go like two and a quarter. It's okay. not good enough to be two and a half because that's like 50%. It's not 50% good. It's less than that. I think to your point about you kind of recognize what could have been with with the bones of what they had. So it's it's two and a quarter. I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, again, you know, certainly, and I I said this with, and Rob, you and I have talked about this several times. Um, I said this in my review of Fast X. Um, it, it is something that I really enjoyed in terms of fun. I still think it is, as a movie, it's just, it, it's such a poor movie, but Fast X, they managed to make fun for me. Um, where Fast 9, I'm like, geez, this is garbage, but... I certainly understand why people stick through that series no matter what, you know, oh, this is, you know, this is what it's about and this is what I relate to. And I'm, I'm sure there's people out there that probably really like this movie. Um, And again, if you're, if you're one of those listeners, let us know, give us your thoughts on why you actually think this movie works. Um, I I love to hear that because there's certainly things that, you know, again, Rob said it himself. Like, why do you watch that? Like, why would you want to like, why would you want to watch that again? Like, (laughs) um, but I just, for whatever reason, I just, I get a kick out of it, whether it's because I think it's good or I just, I think it's so bad that it's, it's just so funny to me to watch. Um, So yeah, if for some reason you're one of those listeners that are like, you know, no, I I like this, you know, I like this a lot. One, I actually had a really interesting conversation based on this um, with a user on on Twitter based on one of my responses about the producer's cut of Halloween 6, which is, you know, the original, The well, Halloween 6 is mangled by people, and then the producer's cut is like, well, it's a little bit better, but it's still a terrible movie. And me, I think Halloween 6, the producer's cut, is really, really good based on the story that they were trying to tell. Um, And I had a really great conversation with one of the users about, you know, my thoughts on it. And he still hates the movie, but he was like, I I think that's a really cool perspective. It was just really cool to have a conversation with somebody, um, you know, about that. So please, if you're that listener, email the show, let us know what you think. So... Yeah, you know, and I think uh, we had kind of mentioned earlier, this is actually the unrated version we watched. Yeah. I don't really know that there was that much of in terms of differences between, and maybe just, you know, a couple of the F-bombs weren't censored, of course, or, mm-hmm. or left in. I really don't know what else. I wasn't able to find much in terms of how much else is actually in this movie compared to the theatrical release. So in terms of like recommending one or the other, like I suppose watch the unrated version because that's how this style of film should probably be presented. Like don't even bother trying for PG 13. Yeah, no. And it's, you know, it's funny because again, it's for, you know, a closing thought, this is, you know, 2008 was still a time when it's like, Oh no, we, we need to get it. We need to make it presentable to as many people as possible. So we got to release it as PG 13. You know, this was long before, you know, Logan and Deadpool and, Oh, our rated movies can make money. Um, You know, it was, it was, it was a big risk in 2008 to, unless you were a straight horror movie 
And even then, it's like, oh, we got to let's, you know, let's make it PG-13 so that we can get as many people to go as we can. Um, you know, it's still a uh, hmm. We got to get as many people in the theater as we can to go see it. So. But I, I don't think the R-rated version, you know, this is not like the R-rated version, the unrated version changes a lot. You know, I I don't think I'd rate the PG-13 any less, and I don't think I'd rate the yeah. PG-13 version any more. Uh, you know, I don't think this makes it a better movie or a worse movie for sure. Yeah, and I think we didn't we do that with Watchmen. I think we specifically watched the unrated version of yes. that too when we did that review, which, um, you know, listeners, if you haven't uh, watched The Watchmen in a while, or if you actually, you know what, if you've never read The Watchmen, go do that. You should yeah. do that. Like, that's the thing you should do. It's an important piece of of writing uh, to our culture. So do that and then watch the movie because it's better than you remember and it's better than people give it credit for. But do watch the unrated version of that because I mm-hmm. think there's some additional stuff that's added to it. Um, it just, poor Zack Snyder. He just can't release a movie without having to also do his own cut of it because nobody ever seems to just let him release what he wants. Right. <laughs> you know, in, in this day and age with the Watchmen, that is one that I would love to see the, you know, the Snyder cut and have, um, Oh God. Am I, am I remembering it as a squid? Uh, and, and well, they, it was a squid, but they kind of did it differently in the movie. Right. No, I'm just I'm I'm thinking back to the novel. Like, yes, it, it was a squid. Um, Obviously, yeah. in the movie, they did it different. But like with everything that we've gotten now in this day and age in terms of movies, you know, because, again, back then it was like, geez, would that really translate to screen? We don't really do things like that. And I I appreciate the the change made to the movie. I think it lands a lot better than when I first saw it. I, I think the whole movie lands a lot better than when we yeah. when I first saw it. But again, like after everything we've been through now with movies, to me that would be interesting to have like a Snyder cut where it's a true adaptation of the ending. Because mm. I think it would be more kind of like universally accepted. Yeah, and on that same note, I'd kind of like to see somebody take a crack at adapting this again. If somebody wanted to do it in and and do it. So streaming's in a weird place right now, right? I think yeah. there's, um, I think that was one of my predictions too when we did our year in review of 2022, and we talked about the year to come of 23. I, I think I, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that it was a bold prediction, um, but that the streaming bubble was going to definitely burst, and we were going to see some wholesale changes, and we're absolutely seeing that now with. HBO Max just becoming Max with with restructuring with Netflix having to be like okay guys like you're not sharing passwords anymore like uh, with a lot of that kind of happening if if Amazon who seems to be just throwing money around at at uh, licensing if they decided they were going to do a nine episode series of Max Payne and do it dark do it gritty kind of adapt the source material a little bit better um, I'd watch that. I'd watch it immediately. So as I was, you know, doing a little bit of, you know, research on this movie um, a a couple days ago before we actually did this, um, they actually did. I did not know this until, you know, now when I was looking some stuff up, um, they did announce that there was a re a reboot in the works just last year in June. That they were. I've never heard that. Yeah, that they were working on a reboot, and I was like, "Oh, 
Now, I couldn't find any subsequent articles mentioning anything further, like any new word on it. But a year ago, they did mention that. And I was like, oh, wow, like, that's okay. So, and, and, you know, on top of that, like, give me a reboot of this, but then go ahead and give me Max Payne 4. Because Max Payne 3 came out on, like, the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 era. We're, like, two yeah. past that. And, you know, and that was a great done, era. Yeah, yeah, the X, Xbox 360 and like PS3 era was a great era for some of this. Like the the joke about uh, Rockstar is that, uh, you know, the PlayStation 2 had three Grand Theft Autos. GTA 5 has had three PlayStations. Yep. Like it, it just seems like they they try try to keep squeezing the life out of Red Dead Redemption 2 and GTA 5 as opposed to releasing new content like I really enjoyed Max Payne 3. I don't think a lot of people checked it out, especially no. the first one. I really enjoyed that. I had a lot of fun with it. It was it was a different story than the first two games, but it was still a lot of fun, and I and I definitely thought it was worthwhile. I want to see a fourth one. Give me a fourth one. Um, I'll take it tomorrow if you could get it to me. And and I would love to see somebody else take a crack at adapting Max's story. Um and I, I think do it as a series. I think that's probably how I would do it. I don't know that trying to do it as a movie again makes sense. Right. Well, Max Payne 3, like the sales were so bad, it turned into um, what was the game where you had the dog with you and you were a cop? There was a video game where you had the you you, you had a dog. It was bullet that like there was the bullet. There was time. one called Dead to Rights. Yeah, that's the one. Dead yes. to Rights. Ma- Max Payne three turned in. Well, I shouldn't say Max Payne three turned into it, but Max Payne Max Payne three's reception and sales turned into Dead to Rights. Because I they, think you might be thinking of the second one because the second Max yes. Payne came out well before uh or i would say Correct. max Payne 3 yes. came out long after dead to rights yes i'm sorry you're absolutely right um and then they finally said okay we'll do another one but yes that was um they had kind of get they had were like oh we're gonna do a different one before they had made max Payne 3 so yes you're right on that um yeah which makes a lot of sense because dead to rights always felt like a max Payne ripoff to me right, yeah it even was, though i enjoyed it i liked it a lot right it was you know it was coke zero like of, of coke. <laughs> like, so but well listeners that will do it for max Payne. uh it was a lot of fun again it's it's one of those ones where i'm actually glad i went back and watched it um no harm no foul on it it wasn't so bad that i was like geez i i could have done without that and what the heck am i gonna say um not great but it was it was fun to go back and actually watch it and just go yeah i my initial assessment of it was right. So it was a lot of fun. Um, Rob, a lot of new stuff going on with, you know, your job and everything. I know you said you were trying to work on stuff. Any updates on a Rob's review? Yeah. uh, Two different, very different episodes are being planned right now and are in the pre-production stages. So uh, listeners, if you are not already subscribed to Matt goes to the movies, first of all, why not? Like, no, seriously, like real talk here. Why are you not subscribed to Matt Goes to the Movies? Like, I need to know. 
like like email the show mgttm podcast at gmail.com and tell me why you're not subscribed to the show already because like why you should be like all the cool people are subscribed to matt goes to the movies and you listening to this right now are clearly a cool person because you downloaded this episode so you need to just go ahead and subscribe while you're at it you can find it everywhere you find all of your favorite social media on instagram tiktok on facebook you can join the official facebook group youtube reddit uh discord Twitch, probably all of those, right? I, I think I think those are all those yep. places you can find the show. <laughs> so make sure wherever you are on the interwebs, you can find Matt Goes to the Movies. Make sure you stay locked in to the channel to make sure that you don't miss any announcements about future episodes. Uh, like I mentioned, two very different ones uh, planned from the official, the only official spinoff of Matt Goes to the Movies in the extended podcast universe. Uh, so we're looking forward to bringing some content there. And then here on the big show, uh, there's some fun stuff we've got planned for uh, the rest of the month of June. Uh, still finalizing the the rest of the schedule, but there's there's some stuff that we're working on that uh, I am I am beyond excited about because uh, some of my favorite movies of all time uh, we're going to be talking about doing. So uh, be sure you keep your earballs locked into Matt Goes to the Movies. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I know for sure are coming up are I will be doing a review on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I was just able to come home from that. Um, and... This coming week, I mentioned it on the Transformers episode, I will be going to a 4DX showing of Rise of the Beast, which I am so excited about. There's a trailer playing with Spider-Verse. Um, so excited to see that movie. Heard nothing but great things about it. And, you know, one of our our collaboration reviews that we're going to be doing coming up here um, with the Basement Binge, I am extremely excited about. So, as Rob said, Facebook, Instagram, uh, email the show at mgttmpodcast at gmail.com. Not only can you interact with us, but guess what? Um, we have tons of digital giveaways that we're still going to be doing. Win yourself a free movie or two by listening to the show. So thank you so much for joining us for this episode, and we will see you very soon at Matt Goes to the Movies.